Welcome back to So You Don't Have To. Hey, guys. Guys, we're starting off this episode with a challenge for each other. I challenged Trey to watch a show near and dear to my heart entitled Bridgerton. And he challenged me to watch a show. Moon Knight, uh, which I think is a a pretty solid uh, Disney Plus series. Um, So I guess we'll just kind of talk about... At first, I think we should talk about kind of expectations and then kind of go into reactions. There's going to be some spoilers on this episode, guys, because we're going to really delve into the, the nitty gritty. Uh, we each watched the first two episodes of each show. So um, let's just get right into it. Do you want to go first? I want to restate and reiterate. If you have not seen Bridgerton's season one or Moon Knight season one, go watch it and then come listen to this podcast because we are going to spoil. So I don't want to see any hate comments. <laughs> um yeah so moon knight trey has been raving about moon knight for a couple weeks now and i want to just start off with saying he's been raving to me about moon knight but he did not clarify that the lead of the show is oscar isaac because if i had known that i probably would have watched it sooner than <laughs> earlier this morning because i am in love with oscar isaac i think he's a hunk and a great actor and i just would have eaten that content up as soon as it had come out if I had known he was the lead. So I'll just preface it with that. But we open the show, and it's this British guy, this really cute British guy, Oscar Isaac. He plays Stephen Grant. And Stephen Grant is just kind of like, he reminds me, I keep bringing up Mr. Bean, because I don't know, he's just in my mind lately, but he reminds me of Mr. Bean kind of like, just kind of goofy, doesn't have a mean thought in his head. He says later's gators, which is just like the cutest thing ever. Um, and yeah, just living kind of a simple life. He works at a gift shop in a museum, an Egyptian museum, which is an important thing to note because this whole show is based in Egyptian mythology. But when we start off, we automatically get some red flags because he's like tied himself down to his bed at night. He keeps like a sand path to mark whether or not he's walked and he keeps a tape on the door to ensure to be able to see if someone has entered his home. So you're already like, hmm, what's going on? Like, why is he trying to prevent himself from getting out of his room? Um, I don't know what I thought initially with that. I thought maybe I think I knew a little bit because I think listening to the podcast, you talked about it, Trey, that Mm -hmm. he wanders at night. But yeah, you're definitely in for a treat if, if you didn't get the whole gist of that. Like, it's more to it than just he has, like, insomnia. Um, he has another funny thing that I noticed. Well, I won't jump ahead, but he blinks out. He, like, his eyes start blinking, and he becomes this other person named something Caster. What's the guy's first name? Mark. Mark Spector. There we yeah. Spector. Yes. He blinks out and becomes Mark Spector. And he doesn't know yet, and... He doesn't know yet, but he basically has like an alter ego, another personality, another soul living in his body. And it's Mark Spector, who is like this agent, though they call it Avatar in the show, for this Greek god. Um, And so, yeah, he doesn't know that's happening. All he knows is that he ends up in weird places, that clearly he leaves in the middle of night. Like he has plans with people that he doesn't remember making. And all of that's because Mark Spector has been taking over his body when he goes to sleep. Though that changes. Eventually he starts taking over his body whenever it's necessary, but it happens just at night mostly. Um, 
I'm just talking about episode one right now. I should clarify. But he starts seeing a figure with a skull head, which we later find out is this Egyptian god that his alter ego, Mark Spector, mm-hmm. um, serves. He's, yeah, and we find out his name later, but we're still in episode one. Um, we also, he starts catching on to the fact that, okay, there must be something more sinister at hand than just I sleepwalk, right? Because he wakes up in the middle of nowhere. I think, I don't think it was in England anymore. It was like another country. And yeah, he just wakes up in the field in another country. He like has all these guys chasing after him. And clear, like we recognize, I think you can tell early on, like he woke up when he wasn't supposed to type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of on this mission. He encounters this Jesus-like figure. I, in my notes, I say, guy who kind of looks like Jesus, um, <laughs> who is, Ethan Hawke plays him. We don't know his name yet in episode one, but I think we find his name is Harrow. But Harrow is like this kind of like Jesus-like figure, and everywhere we see him so far in both episodes, he's like leading these communities of peaceful people, and you're just kind of like, and they all like adore him like he's a Jesus-type figure, so that's why I called him that. Um, and he has this power, this ability where he like casts judgment on people before they commit a crime. And we don't know that just yet, but we do see that he casts judgment on this old lady. He has, uh, the scales of justice on his arm and it helps him determine whether or not someone is a good person. And this little old lady, like he just killed her because she wasn't a good person. And that's the first moment where we're like, okay, maybe he's not a good guy. Um, Eventually, he gets into a fight with them because he has this relic that they want. At this point, neither us nor um, Stephen know what it is, but Mark knows what it is, clearly. But he starts running, and then finally Mark tells him in his head, like, switch bodies with me so I can get us out of the situation. And that happens quite a bit in episode one of him kind of closely and saying, like, let me take over. Um, let me see, what else is in my notes? Oh, and then finally he starts kind of like digging into why is this happening? He finds like another phone that clearly belongs to Mark and sees that he's been getting calls from this woman named Layla. Um, and we're not really sure who Layla is yet. We just know she keeps calling. And then at the end, there's this really cool moment where they reveal what Moon Knight looks like, but he's like talking in the mirror to Mark, which I think is a really cool storytelling element in the show yeah because they have like conversations it's really cool they talk and like they use reflections to talk and um so he's talking in the mirror and that's when mark finally is like let me take over because um they have this like jackal the jesus like guy even hogs carol harrow sends like this jackal after them and he's locked himself in this room and mark specter is like hey just give me the body and he doesn't want to obviously because he's really freaked out but finally he lets him do it. And that's when he like transforms into Moon Knight, the the character, the main character of the show. Um, and I just thought that was such a cool ending. Like it was epic. And he like rises up in the outfit. It's really cool. Um, so that's the plot of episode one. I'll say that for me, outside of the plot, I thought it had, it was funnier than I thought it would be. Mm. Um, I think Oscar Isaac, I knew Oscar Isaac was like a little bit witty because he was Poe in Star Wars, obviously, and he had some moment, clippy moments like that, too. But seeing him play this, like, really timid British guy has been so cool. Um, just to see his acting range, like, he's so talented. Yeah. Yeah, I thought going into it, um, and as the show progresses, I think you'll be able to, like, really, I think you'll be able to really relate to this feeling more. Uh, but the show, just in general, like, it's definitely not 
exactly what I expected. Um, I kind of thought it'd be a bit more, I guess I want to say cookie cutter. I just, I didn't, I didn't expect that much from it, mm. I guess is what I mean. So I was, so I was pleasantly surprised on some of the things they were doing and like, and just, and this concept of like these two people trapped in this one body and, and they're so different from each other. Like it's, it was so cool to watch. Um, and you'll see how it unfolds more later, but yeah, no, um, watching episode one, I was immediately like, okay, wow. All right. This is like, this is pretty solid. Like now I definitely want to see. Yeah. I actually wrote in my note, I need to reread my Rigorian Egyptian series books because <laughs> mm-hmm. I forgot a lot about the Greek. I mean, not Greek. I'm sorry. I forgot a lot about the Egyptian gods and the mythology behind it. And it comes up more and more as the show goes on. I realized and not as much in episode one. But I was like, dang, I need to reread Gregorian's because that he was like the king of making mythology of all types very like digestible for teenagers. Mm-hmm. So might have to break that back out. Um, but yeah, that's episode one. Um, so episode two, we it's sort of like the it begins with the aftermath of episode one with the museum was destroyed in this big battle the museum that he works at was destroyed in this big battle that he had with the jackal um and of course security only catches steven running around like they don't the jackal we find out was invisible to everybody else um and so was like a lot of the magical mythical things going on so that's the first thing that we learn is that nobody else is really seeing this except steven um Steven decides that he's going to go find out more about Mark, his like alter ego. And so he goes to the storage unit. He finds the key to a storage unit and he goes and finds all of Mark Spector's like belongings, including cash, um, Mark's U.S. passport, which I'll get, leave it for the commentary, but I feel like this episode just left me with so many questions about how this works, but Mm-hmm. There was like so much in the duffel bag, guns, like weapons, basically everything that Mark has been using to keep up this like secret agent mercenary life that he's living. Um, I wrote in my notes a quote that I love from episode two was when um, Steven's looking in the mirror, talking, like yelling at Mark, and he's upset with it. And he says, I don't care how bloody handsome you are, I'm just not gonna. And he was saying, like, I'm not gonna listen to you, but I thought that was so funny when he said that. Uh, and then I also said, the, we find out, like, the Egyptian god that he's serving, we find out more about him. Um, his name is Khonshu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote in my notes that Khonshu is very scary. I, like, I guess that's part of his character is that he's, like, this killer. Like, he serves justice, I guess. But he's frightening. Like, he has this huge skull face and kind of is just, like, not here for the fact that um, Steven exists, frankly. Like... He feels like Steven is such an obstacle to whatever he has planned. So I find him scary. We also find out that Layla, this woman that has been calling his phone constantly, Mark's phone, is Mark's wife, which again, led me to more questions about how has this been going on? How did he get married (laughs) without Steven knowing? But whatever. Um, We find out Layla is Mark's wife and Steven, you can tell already Steven likes her and thinks she's really cute and smart. And Mark is trying to divorce her, apparently, because Layla comes with divorce papers. Like, this is what you wanted. We also find out that Layla has no idea about this, like, double identity thing either and is very upset that Steven is British. And she thinks that it's Mark pretending to be someone else. She doesn't realize it's actually Steven. And then 
we find out that Mark is a mercenary, a killer. Like, we're finding out all this information in this episode. Um, and Steven is just, like, really freaked out. Like, you've been using my body to just go crazy, apparently. Um, and then we find out, I called him Creepy Jesus in my notes, but his name is um, Harrow. <laughs> we find out that Creepy Jesus slash Harrow kills people before they act, which is something notable, I think. I don't know if it'll come up later. I only watched the first two episodes, but it was something notable to me as a viewer that there's sort of this disagreement between the Egyptian gods about how to deliver justice. And Harrow, you know, follows a Greek goddess who believes in cutting out evil before it happens. And there's a moment where Stephen kind of asks him, like, isn't that killing an innocent person? And, like, Harrow's just, like, doesn't really answer and gets frustrated. But, yeah, I mean, that's something to think about. When is someone evil if they haven't really done anything yet? Or they might do something later. Um, and then in that same scene, I actually wrote it down word for word because I thought it was kind of funny. But um, Stephen says, I don't know if that's what you're all into, but I draw a line at child murderer. Because he was like, do you guys kill children too? Just because they might do something when they're an adult? And he just kind of like shrugs. Like, Harrow doesn't really answer, and that's when Steven's like, I think I'm gonna draw a line in the sand when it comes to child murder. Like, I don't think that's good. Um, and then I also did another quote where Harrow, so Harrow has this, like, stick that he uses to cast judgment. It's kind of like a scale, and he balances it on, like, a person's arms to decide whether or not they're good or bad, depending on how it swings. But there's a scene where he's like, do you know what this is? Like, all serious to Steven. And Steven's like, yeah, a cane. <laughs> a cane, yeah. And I don't know, it's hard to deliver when, like, you're over a podcast. It's kind of like when you could have, should have been there type things. But when you watch, you'll see, like, Oscar Isaac's comedic timing is very funny. Um, and I'm loving what he's doing in this, like, different role. Um, also, so I'm trying to, after this, I'm skipping ahead a lot. But the reason why they're talking is because Harrow, like, captures him again, Steven. And they go to this warehouse where he has another, like, loving community that he's running. And he is kind of showing Stephen around. And it's clear that he knows now that Stephen has two people living in his body. And that Mark, the other half of him, serves um, Kanshu. Like, he's starting to realize all of that. And he claims that he's trying to help Stephen escape the situation. Um, it doesn't go well because he... I think Steven starts to pick up on the fact that Harrow's, like, not really a good guy and that he's, like, morally ambiguous. And so it ends in, like, this battle, and uh, he sends another jackal to attack him, and then Layla appears because he wants this artifact that Steven and Layla possess. So it ends up in another battle, and eventually he he doesn't want to give up control to Mark again, even though Mark is begging him to. Um, and there's actually a funny scene where... So Mark wears this, like, cape outfit, and Steven decides he's going to be Moon Knight, and his appears as, like, this like, really nice tailored suit, and he's kind of, like, and I love that scene, because it kind of shows that even in this role, like, I don't know if Steven's really going to be Moon Knight, or if it's just going to be Mark the whole time, but it, I think it's another moment where you get to see that their personalities are, like, completely opposite to each other. Um, and let's see what, the, oh, and then I said the free fall into the suit scene was so epic. He, like, falls off out of a building and Mark's like, just please summon the suit, summon the suit. And he like summons the suit. And before he hits the ground, like he's in this like white suit. And it was just so cool. I love that scene. Yeah. I, I wrote invisible jackal, which that's kind of the, the main tool that Harrow uses to attack people. Um, 
And so then I left feeling confused because the last scene is Khonshu and Mark talking. Well, actually, Mark and uh, Mark takes over and Stephen and Mark are talking and Mark is kind of indicating to Stephen that he doesn't plan on giving him his body back anytime soon and that he just really wants to finish his mission in Stephen's body and he's not giving him back control, which honestly was really sad to watch because from what I can tell, I don't know the whole story yet, but this seems like this is Steven's body, not Mark's. And it just seems like a crazy situation to have someone take over your body and not be, you know, willing to let you have control of it again. Um, and he said something that, like, you know, Steven's kind of getting angry and was like, you've been doing this to me my whole life. And I noted that because I'm like, your whole life, like, so you guys have been together since the beginning. I don't know. It just left me with a lot of questions, but I was really noticing he said that. Um, and then last thing we learned in this episode before we get more into commentary is that Kanchu appears and has this whole conversation with Mark about how he needs to like remember his mission. And he says, if you don't, like I plan on taking over Layla's body, which again led to more questions for me about like why Layla and like, how does he choose what people he wants to take over, you know, to serve as his avatars? Just a lot of questions. But that's how it ends with Mark seemingly conflicted and feeling like, okay. And then he ends up going to Egypt at the end. And that's what we see is that he wakes up in Egypt. Mark, Stephen's still not in control of the body. So that's the end of episode two. I'll just finish with, I enjoyed it. I think I will keep watching it. I see the appeal. I think it has, like, comedy. It's, like, a cool concept. It's something I haven't really seen before. And um, I'm glad you recommended it. I think everyone who's watched up to this point or maybe watched the whole thing, I think it's a really great show. And definitely check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. The show, is, it, it is solid. I've said this before. But, yeah, it's, uh, it was a fun watch. So, um, Dom recommended me to watch, not recommended, it asked uh, me to watch Bridgerton. And, you know, I'll, I'll say at least this, like, first impression-wise, I had heard about this show. I had seen some things about it. It looked very, um, it is a period drama because, uh, you know, it's, like, set in the early 1800s. And, like, you know, there's a bunch of, like drama in it I, I expected it to just be that um just very kind of kind of a way kind of boring a little bit um but then actually watching the show I've actually I've actually en enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would um so let's see I guess kind of in terms of like episode one first the first like moments of episode one is just kind of setting everything's up uh we're in the early 1800s uh England right and there are these two the show presents the, the narrator who we know is um her name is Lady Whistledown. Um and she's kinda she's kinda giving us the rundown on like what's happening right now because there's these two houses. There's this house called the Bridgerton House and there's this other one called the Whistledown House, right? And these houses, you know, it's the it's the uh we're we're looking at these houses during the time of uh marriage season, I guess I would call it. Uh because it's basically uh, the young women of the young women of each house. Uh, they're going to, they are at the age where they can, you know, uh, start looking for suitors. And on that day, they're going to be they're going to present themselves to the queen. Um, and the queen basically, and and this is crazy. The queen basically kind of determines their worth. Like they go up to her and they just kind of, 
they don't really say anything, but they just, they present themselves. And if the queen, you know, gives them an approving nod or anything, then it's like, okay, cool. Then, you know, all the suitors are going to be like, all right. So that's, that's the, that's the person to go for. And if not, then it's like, then they're not, they're like worth less, not worthless, but worth less. <laughs> and in terms of the social hierarchy, right? So the whistle down, uh, the whistle down women, they go, they present themselves. It does not go well. It's Featherington, um, by the way. Oh, Featherington. Oh, Featherington. Yes. Lady Whistledown's the narrator. Feathering is the house, the house, Bridgerton household in the Featherington household. My bad. So the Featherington uh, women, they go and present themselves. It does not go well. The queen just doesn't vibe with them. So, and one of them passes out. So that's also really embarrassing. Um, uh, Bridgerton, uh, the, the specific one, uh, Daphne, she's the daughter. Um, she go she goes up there and she goes up there confidently and the queen just kind of jives with it and she gives an approving nod and like and that's great right because now the suitoring search can begin basically um so that happens so the oh uh so when that start with that starting right uh her brother daphne's brother anthony who's the head of the household um he is extremely extremely overprotective um you know and he's kind of he's coming from a place of where like he wants his sister to be with someone who's great and like unproblematic and who he thinks will treat her well but in, in doing that he scares away like a lot of really like a lot of suitors who like probably are like at least decent just he's scaring everyone away and Daphne can't really find her own match and that is really frustrating because like and she, uh, this, this was an amazing quote. I don't think it happens at this specific point, but she talks about this, like, in just in their society, right? This is like all, she's been raised for this moment, like finding a husband, starting a family, like this is, her life has been reduced to this moment. She doesn't say exactly like that, but it's like that. So like, it's, this is really, so if her life is just going to be that she wants more choice in the matter you know and that was yeah. like re that was so good um so yeah uh anthony's being a douchebag and he pairs his sister up with this guy who his name is lord uh burbrook now you see him a little bit earlier in the episode and he's obviously a huge creep uh just in the some of the stuff he says <laughs> yeah he's uh no he's he's a piece of work um but as far as Anthony knows, he hasn't done anything. Um, he knows where he's been. Um, so he, so he's sure that this is okay. This, this person is, he's good. He's good for Daphne. He won't, he won't do anything, blah, blah, blah. But no, he's obviously a creep and Daphne is just not, she's not with it with that. Neither is her mother, um, who's also pretty pissed about this arrangement. So they're, they're both not jiving with this at all. So at the same time as all this stuff with Daphne's happening, um, we see the Duke of Hastings. I can't remember exactly his name, but the Duke, most most people, Simon, uh, the Duke of Hastings. He has come in. He, he's come back to London. Um, I can't remember exactly where he was before that. Uh, but he he's he's returned uh, after you know being gone for a little bit, and um, and since he's back, since he's a Duke, right? And it's marriage season and everything. All the all the moms and and their daughters are all over him and he, he wants to get him off his back because he doesn't really want to marry. That's not really his thing. Um, so th this is also, so you, you see a little bit of him and that's his issue during Daphne's stuff. So it's funny. So you see on one hand, you see, 
you know, because of Anthony, Daphne has like no choices. And then uh, Simon has too many. Um, he doesn't, you know, so through the rest of the episode, you're just kind of seeing Daphne just kind of grapple with this problem. She's understandably pretty pissed and she doesn't really feel there's a lot of way out. We see a little bit more about Anthony. Anthony kind of has a sweetheart who's an actor. He kind of spends time with her towards, towards kind of the end of the first episode. Um, you see that they're at a, they're at one of the many balls that happen, right? Um, and Laura Burbrook tries to, you know, as we said, he's really sketch, right? And all of his interactions with Daphne throughout the episode have been just really, uh, like, really weird. And so he, he tries to, you know, she, she kind of, Daphne separates herself from the party a little bit. And then um, and Laura Burbrook comes and finds her and, you know, and she's insistent, like, I don't want to marry you. And then he's, like, being really forceful about it. And then he puts his hands on her. And then you see the Duke who's, you know, he's kind of running in to kind of like, oh, shit, like he's kind of running in to save the day. Uh, then she punches Burbrook and knocks him out, which was really funny. That was um, an epic moment. So was... he gets knocked out and and uh, and the Duke is like, well, like, damn, okay. All right, you had that. But, you know, she's still like, just because she punched Burbrook, you know, she's still betrothed pretty much thanks to Anthony. So she's still like this. That doesn't really improve her mood, right? I didn't, I didn't mention this before. Uh, the Duke and Anthony are friends, right? So we see Daphne, so Daphne does, has interacted with the Duke before this moment because, you know, the Duke, you know, her brother knows the Duke. They've been buddies for a while. Um, those interactions have not really been that good. They're, they're both very snarky to each other, which has been funny. But yeah. it's in that moment, you know, it's in that moment after knocking out Burbrook where the Duke comes up with an idea. He's like, okay, let's see. How about here? You need to get... You need to stop this betrothal with um, with Burbrook, and you also want th these other suitors to come back and look at you because your brother has messed that up. I want um, I want like these as he specifically says he wants these mothers and daughters off his back since he's returned because everybody is trying to get with him. So he's like, so how about we do this? Let's pretend, let's pretend to be in love with each other to express interest and like and that'll solve both of our problems. Let's pretend to do that for a little bit. And she and she's like, okay, bet. So they go and do that. And that is and that is like and that's huge, right? Now, throughout all of this has been happening. I brought up Lady Whistledown in the beginning. Throughout all this is happening, Lady Whistledown is this like she narrates through uh the episode, um, but she also like she's talking to us the audience, but she also like has a lot of influence like in this in this society because she is like basically she's like the gossiper she runs like her own little news thing and so she reports on she reports on a bunch of stuff that's happening she reports on and because it's marriage season you know it's the talk of the town so everybody's reading it to see what she has to say because her commentary is both like honest kind of uh but funny right um and everybody and everybody's looking into what she says um so when she reports you know when when she reports on like oh the duke and and uh lady bridgerton you know daphne oh they were seen at the you know they were seen at uh dancing with each other and they seem very intimate and it was like oh man like when she says that then again everybody kind of lays off the duke because they think oh okay so he's found somebody but then the, all the suitors that were scared off by anthony they're all like okay you know what maybe we can give this another shot because uh she, you know she's not 
because you know last she was seen with just burbrook right thanks to anthony so they're all like okay oh she's back on the market she, you know i say back on the market but she's she's not just with this burbrook guy anymore so yeah that's the first episode um concerning initial impressions the show is a lot more funnier than i thought um there's a lot of little like snarky bits uh, as i said before there, there's a little comedy sprinkled in uh it's it's very natural though um but yeah no it was again and i said this before it it's hard for me to just to really describe it but i really i, I enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would it, it was kind of a, it was kind of a fun watch it wasn't just all drama and and dramaticness or anything it had like it had a lot of personality yeah i think my when i first watched episode one i just was immediately taken by the diversity of the cast the bright colors of the show the modern music but put in classical format um i don't know if you picked up on that Trey, yes. but that was just so like ah the world that you're dropped in when you watch episode one is just so lush and diverse and beautiful and as someone who loves i know trey is not a diehard period drama guy at all which is why i wanted him to watch this so he could understand me a bit better i love period drama but to see it depicted in this way in such a colorful diverse way i mean i want to shed a tear a little bit like it was just everything i've ever wanted from a period drama in a show so that's how i felt when i first watched episode one starting with episode two uh, we open with a flashback. So this episode, we get throughout the episode, we get some snippets of Simon's life, specifically his relationship with his father, um, because after he was born, his his mother dies like pretty fast, just loss of blood and everything. Uh, but as you can see in the episode, like it's crazy. He's like at first, you know, he's he's waiting outside the room. He's concerned. He's all like. Oh, you know, he's waiting with some other guys, you know, because they're like, oh, the, you know, because she's giving birth, right? Um, but then he barges in eventually, like, while he's going in, and not really as a concerned husband, more as just like, what is it? What is it? Like, he's not, he's not even really looking at his wife. And then, you know, the doctor hands him a boy, and then he, he's ex extremely excited uh, that he just walks out. He just walks out with the baby. He doesn't let his wife see it. He just walks out and he shows his boy. He's just like, I have a son now. There's a proper heir. Like, literally, it is, doesn't even, does not look at his wife. <laughs> like, just strolls out of there, bruh. And it was, it's and pretty was, clear like, that they had, I was just say, it's yeah. pretty clear that they had, like, a very unloving situation. But, yes. Yeah. Just rolls out of there with the kid. And the wife is, like, happy for, like, a second. She's like, okay, I gave him, a, I gave him the son that he's, he's wanted forever. Uh, but, but then she dies eventually, and Simon's dad is not batting an eye. He's just happy to have a son. Um, we kind of, you know, and these other uh, snap like flashbacks, we kind of see that as Simon got older, he has a stammer problem. So when he tries to talk, he stammer, stutter. Uh, well, they call it stammer in the show, but it's, yeah, he has like a stuttering problem. So when he tries to talk, you know, his his writing, as they said, the his writing and everything, his fencing ability, his his writing, being able to ride horses, like he's great in all of those. Um, just when he talks, he has a bit of a stutter, um, and immediate, and not even like, you know, his dad finds out like really early on, and he's he's like four when he finds out that that his son talk just talks a little strangely, and he loses it. He disowns him from there. He he's an imbecile. He's an idiot, and just has nothing to do with his son. His son is living in his house, 
for like his whole life, but he just doesn't want to say anything to him. Um, he does send him off to school and everything. He does well in school, but it is just because he stutters a little bit that it's over. He, he's a, he's not a prop. He's a terrible heir, and you know it, there's there's just nothing he can do. Is it's his greatest failure. Um, I want to say I'm trying to recall her name. Um, because in Lady place Danbury. of Yes, Lady Barry. Because in place of his mother, Lady Danbury takes Simon under her wing, and she helps him overcome overcome this stutter, which he eventually does. Right? She like she really builds him up because again, his father is just wants nothing to do with him off of this one little thing. Doesn't even doesn't try to help him. But yeah, as we see, Lady Danbury fixes the issue. But even when she kind of goes and she presents Simon to him again. You know, he, he's talking very eloquently. It's great. And then towards the end, he stutters a little bit, but he's shown so much improvement, right? But then he's like, oh, you suck. I hate you. And he's like, okay, whatever, right? So, yeah, he does that. Yeah. Um, there's one more flashback, but I'm going to save that towards the end. So, next. So, Daphne and Simon, right? You know, they've been spending they've been spending some time with each other and everything. And I mean Lady Whistledown is eating it up. Everybody else is eating it up. They're convinced that okay, they're gonna be they're gonna be a pair. Like this is it. Um so everybody's just like, okay, cool. Uh Burbrook is pissed. Uh I mean yeah, this whole episode, he's pissed and persistent. Uh, because he's he's trying to, you know, he gets on Anthony, he's like, You prompt Anthony. You promised that Daphne would marry me. There's a bunch of other people who are interested in her, and she's with this duke. And like, like what, like what are you doing? And Anthony is insistent. Okay, no, I got it. Like, yeah, no, don't worry. And again, as I said before, Anthony and the duke are friends. So Anthony, he talks to the duke about. It. He's like, dude, like, can you like stop? Like, I don't mean to insult you, but I just don't think you're the right person for my sister. Uh, like and he's like, and it, the Duke is all like, well, I say the Duke. Simon is all like, oh, and you think Burbrook is, bro? Like he's a creep, like seriously. And and he's just like, well, you're, you know, you're, oh yeah, okay, but you're, you're no dime piece either. Like you, you be sleeping around and all kinds of stuff. Like you're my, like you're my bro. Like I know what you be doing. Like you're not gonna marry my sister, right? And Simon just Simon just kind of takes it. He doesn't really he doesn't really say anything back to that. He just kind of takes it. Um, but he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem upset. But I think he just kind of understands where Anthony may be coming from. But he's but given what Burbrook tried to do, like in last episode, he knows that he's definitely not it. You know, because he tried to he tried to put her hands on her. Um, so as the episode progresses, um, Daphne's mom, right? She is like again, she's pretty pissed about this Bur this Burbrook stuff. She's both elated that Daphne is with the Duke because that's a great pair. But Anthony keeps coming back and driving the point home that no, you are not going to no, you're not you're not gonna be with the Duke. That's not gonna happen. He keeps coming back to the house and saying that and he's telling everybody that. And Daphne's mom is, is big pissed, right? Um she gets invited to a private tea with the Queen, which is pretty spontaneous um they have this tea and the, by the way the queen is so like just random i don't know how to, she's so funny like the queen is funny and she's really not trying to be funny just like because though because in the tea time she's like huffing something it's hilarious 
the queen, this is a very specific moment. The queen sends away one of her, I guess I'll call him an aide. She sends one of her aides to go get some more. I forget what she calls it, but it's, it's whatever she's huffing. And, the, um, and they continue talking. And then she looks back at uh, Daphne's mom. And she's all like, yeah, no, we can't, we can't gossip with him in here because then everybody's going to, everybody's going to know our business, right? So they have a fake, you know, when he comes back in, they continue a fake conversation about Mozart, blah, blah, blah. And the queen um, says that he, at a young age, you know, this is just, I guess, some additional tidbit lore of uh, the queen gave, approved of Mozart when he was pretty young, and then he became one of the best uh, composers, like, in all of England, right? So it was like, well, Europe, and he's like, well, yeah. Um, but the queen saying that, how Oh, we can't talk about, you know, can't talk about stuff around that guy. He's going to talk too much. That gave, that gives Daphne's mom an idea. Because, again, they're trying to break up this Burbrook stuff, right? So they invite Burbrook's mother, so Lady Burbrook, right? They invite her over, and they bring, all, bring her all this food and everything. And she talks a lot, too much, way too much, right? But also, Lady Burbrook. Uh, Lady Burger brings over her aides, right? And her aides, you know, L Lady Bridgerton's aides and Burbrook's aides, they just start chatting. They just start, you know, they just start kind of shooting the shit. But in that, uh, the aides kind of reveal what's been happening at their house. Because like one of, I forget what, what, what they specifically say, but um, one of uh, Bridgerton's aides are like, wow, like she is running through them biscuits. Like y'all must be, y'all must be going crazy at that house. And then like, <laughs> the Burbrook's aides like, oh, bro, you got no idea, man. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> so she, so they, spill, they spill the beans and everything. And then, you know, Lady Burbrook eventually leaves. Um, and, and Daphne's been sitting through this tea time. Like, bro, this has been, like, you and, like, why didn't you invite her over here, bro? Like, she was, like, she was ass. So the whole time Lady Burbrook was there, she was judging Daphne as though, like, you know, like oh you know you're kind of you're a little too skinny but i you know blah, blah, blah. like she says shit like that and then like Daphne's like bro this is bullshit <laughs> um but after like Brooklyn leaves uh um daphne's mom goes to the age she's like okay what did you learn and then daphne's like what, you what is this about and he's all like the health always knows the dealio is what did you guys learn about what's going on and so they spill the beans right they find out about all this stuff right um, I for oh, what did Lady Bridgerton say? She said, I, I, I keep, Lady Bridgerton is Daphne's mom. I keep kind of flip-flopping through them. Lady Bridgerton, she looks at Daphne, because Daphne's like, wait, what are you talking about what, when you ask the aides, like, what do they know? She's like, Daphne, like, the help always knows what's going on. So we will, now we will do what women do. We will talk, right? And then from there, they spread, they, they like, bruh, like, they blow up all of Burbrook's shit, bro. Like, all of the wacky shit that's been going on in their house and, like, weird shit. Like, Burbrook has, has, like, a son and a wife that he, like, sent away to, like, America or something. Or, like, abandoned them. Or, like, he – or did he blow a lot of money in America? Both of those things, I don't remember which country it was. But he's got this whole other shit going on. A whole This whole other family that he's kind of been hiding that he – hiding slash abandoned, you know, keeping secret, Right. Like, so his whole shit gets exposed. He gets, like, 18, the 1800s equivalent of canceled, right? So he skips town um, because, oh, I didn't mention this. Burbrook uh, threatens, he, he, he threatened Daphne that if you don't marry me, 
um, I'm going to tell everybody that you tried to make the moves on the night that you punched me. Like, I'm going to tell everybody that. Like, he makes that threat to her. Um, so that's why Daphne's mom gets really, really more involved in trying to break up this thing because this is, like, obviously this marriage is going to be toxic as shit. Like, this is messed up. Um, so then that, you yeah, know. Yeah, anytime you, anytime you want to force somebody into marrying you, probably not a great union, you know, not a great way to start it off. Exactly. So, you know, from that, from that is, you know, from that thread, when she hears about that, that's where she really gets like, okay, we're going to break this up. And then she gets that idea and then we get all this. So Burbrook skips town because now he is, everybody knows his business. They know that he's a shit Lord, um, you know, all, all that good stuff. And it's like, awesome. Um, and then the Duke. Oh yeah. And, and here's the last thing. Cause I skipped over this flashback, right? So in the final flashback that we see of the Duke and his father, right? Um, we see his father on his deathbed, and you know, surprise, surprise. Of course, when he's close, to, he, when he's close to death, he's changed up, and he's all like, "Son, I love you. Like this is crazy. You're you've grown such to be a great heir of this of our family name. Like this is this is epic, bro." And he's all like, "He's his dad is dying. He goes to his dad. He's all like, hey, shit ass." I'm not going to marry, and the name is going to die with me. So, yeah, uh, eat shit and die. And his dad dies after that. Um, so we find out why he doesn't want to – from there, we find out why he does not want to marry, why he's so against it. It's not because it's, – it's not some bachelor mentality, or maybe that's a little bit of part of it, but he act, But his main reason is just kind of for, for payback, for his dad treating him like shit his whole life. We're just like damn right so we so we find that out and then the episode closes so yeah um that was a really good episode it was cool to get to get some of the simon's backstory and also that motivation for not marrying it's not just uh again i assumed it was just the straight like i'm trying to be a bachelor forever you know that kind of, that shit but like it's so much it's so much more than that and that was so cool um but yeah yeah it's kind of interesting i feel like i i agree with you that the episode is unique in that it's kind of like the men and women of that time using the limited powers that they have to make you know have some agency and for it's for the women it's that they have this power of reputation to determine someone's reputation and gossip and talk and we see Daphne Daphne's mom Violet use that power to destroy Burbo and then we also see how Simon his role of carrying on sort of this like uh, the lineage of the Hastings line him deciding not to do that is also this huge power that he has to decide i'm not going to carry on this family name and give my dad because in his mind he thinks it's giving his dad power if he becomes everything his dad wanted him to be to some extent so i love it it's like both of these both groups using their limited 1800s power to get back at people and, you know, for the women, like I said, that's the gossip and the reputation. And for the men, it's about, you know, the patrilineage and deciding, you know, whether or not they're going to pass on the name and inheritance and heirs. So I agree with you. I love that episode. Um, and I love the show. Would you keep watching the show? Because now that we've got the Berber stuff resolved, for the most part, like, that's been awesome. So I want to see, I want to see what Simon does. Because it kind of, it kind of shows that he kind of, you know, I know that they've been faking liking each other, but, you know, he kind of, oh, 
okay, he, he kind of, it seemed, it would seem that he kind of likes Daphne a little bit, but that would, you know, but if they get together, that would conflict with this whole thing, because he's trying to get back at his, at his dad, right? So it's like, yeah. hey, you know, so there's that inner conflict, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, to answer your question, I think I will. Yeah, I think it, the show is about, to your point, about the struggle always, and probably most period dramas, honestly, but I, with Bridgerton specifically about duty versus desire. And so it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I wish I was in your shoes. I wish I could like rewatch it and not know what's coming up. Like how much I would pay to have my mind wiped so that I could watch it again. Such a good show. And there's another season. I don't know if we get to season two, but I'm really, I love this exercise. I think the reason why I wanted to do this is because I think when you listen to shows like ours or just anytime you see recommendations for shows, you can kind of get put into a box about what you're looking for. Like, oh, I've always liked anime, so I just want to see anime recommendations. And, or, you know, I've always liked period drama, so I only want to watch period drama. Or I've only watched Marvel, so I just want to see things like Marvel. And I love this because you would have never watched Bridgerton without me recommending it, right? No, I would not have. <laughs> And I probably wouldn't have watched Moon Knight. I probably would have heard about it from you. I think I watch your recommendations more than you watch mine. But, you know, these are shows that are outside of our typical watch list. And now it's shows that we both say we would continue to watch. So I think it was just kind of a cool exercise to just watch something out of our comfort zones. Likewise. Seriously. Like, no, because, again, I'm, I'm more into it than I thought I would be. Yeah. Well, I enjoy this exercise. And I'm so grateful to everyone who listened. I guess the moral of this episode is try to watch something that you wouldn't typically watch. Hit that show me something random button on Netflix or watch a show that maybe on the other streaming ne- networks everyone's been talking about, but you've been dragging your feet on. Like, get into it. Watch stuff just that give, you would never really watch. Just give it a shot, at least, you know? Give it two episodes, just like we do. What's on your watch list for next week, Trey? Well, def- well, Bridgerton, right? And then um, I think I want to – I may go and see that uh, that Doctor Strange movie. Um, I just – I because uh, No Way Home came out on Amazon, uh, so I watched that last night. That was gas. Um, so – I think I think I may go give that Doctor Strange one a shot. I've heard, I've heard, I've I've definitely been spoiled on some bits of it. Um, so I, you know, I'm gonna have some mixed feelings going into it, but I think I'll give it a shot. But yeah, I think I think just those two things. What about you? So I have been watching Obi Wan Kenobi. It's Chef's Kiss, terrific so far, and I love Ewan McGregor. Um, I have been meaning to start the show called Outlander. I'm sure people who are listening have seen this show. It's period drama galore. It's just kind of daunting to me. I caught it late and I usually hate watching shows when they're like four season, four and up seasons already in. It just feels like it's too much. And so I think that's why I've been dragging my feet with Outlander. Like they're very far ahead. Like there's several seasons in. I just feel like, oh, it's too much to watch. But I'll probably watch that and... I think that's it. I just finished Under the Banner of Heaven yesterday. I cannot recommend that show enough. If you want to watch a show outside of your comfort zone, that's just terrific. 
the Mormon like crime, see like crime, um, religion, murder. Like it's just a mix of all those things. Go watch Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Outlander, and whenever Obi Wan Kenobi comes out on Wednesday. Yeah. So I'll probably watch that. But that's really it. It's kind of a chill. I feel like there's a lull right now in premieres. So I'm going to yeah. catch up on like old things that I wasn't hip to before. Well, guys, go watch Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Go watch Bridgerton on Netflix. And have a good week. Yeah. And we'll keep uh, watching TV so that you don't have to. Oh, and leave a comment or a rating, please. Please. In this podcast, other people, you know. Share it. it. Helps so much. Please. Save it to your library. Subscribe. Do all the buttons, you know? Honestly. <laughs> but have a good week. We love you. And we, as always, we appreciate you for listening. Have a good one. See you guys later. Bye.